400 hertz reference level recorded 10 dB below program level. So, Joby. Yes. Do you ever think about, you know, I mean, you've been on the show. You're a super, super listener. Sure. Super archivist. Yeah. Do you ever think about, like, wow, someday I'd like to be on the show with Trackman? <laughs> that would be hilarious. Hey! Hey, folks. Welcome to the Film Photography Podcast. My name is Mike Rosso. I'm here with Leslie Lazenby. Hello, everyone. Mr. Matt Mirage. Hey, how's it going? Mr. Mark O'Brien. Hey, everybody. And our very good friend, Joseph Brunges. Who I'm now starting to call Joby because you've been like, hey man, call me Joby. Yeah. Uh, Joseph Brunges, for regular listeners, has been on a show a few times, right? Yeah, um, two other times and then kind of interviewed on the PD and Expo shows. And also, you've been kind of a diehard. Like, didn't you show up in Ann Arbor? For a I did, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for the uh, Meetup. Photo, yeah, Photo Walk. FPP yeah. Meetup, Photo Walk. Joby, our special guest, wet plate <laughs> photographer, tin typist. Yes. What? Uh, just to give an overview, I, I see you have a few things. Did you change your topics? What topics do you think? No, I just wanted to tempt you with an array of things for you to choose from. Oh, okay. I kind of uh, defer to Matt. Like, Matt, what should we talk about with Joby? Oh, okay. Well, I, I, I had some ideas. More LF representation now. Maybe we can talk yeah. about ULF. Right. Ultra large. Oof. Um, maybe some, uh, we'll talk about... The pros and cons. You guys talk about U U L F, and then I'll do a diversion. Talk about U H F TV. Why? <laughs> what else? Uh, and then uh, you know, there's a lot of specialties that go into the, those specialty cameras and lenses are, are, are among them. And uh, I couldn't help but drool every time I looked over at uh, the, the wet plate setup and all these amazing pieces of glass that uh, Joby brought with him. Mark, what do you want to talk about on this show? Two topics I wanted to talk about. One would be basic filter set for black and white photography. I'd like to hear about that. You know, And the other one would um, book review. Okay. Don't know if we'll get to it, but we're going to try. Okay. How about you, Leslie? I kind of have two that I talk about as well as the pin blood and out damn spot. 400 hertz reference level recorded 10 dB below program level. Now you can discover the colors of Coda Color Gold, a new film that captures natural color with new generation technology, giving more accurate more realistic colors than you've ever seen before. A film that brings color to life and life to color. So when you've a moment to remember, take it easy and discover the colors of Coda Color Gold. Fantastic. Oh, the doctor is in, folks. Doctor, take it away. Sure, patient 203. Doctor, I'm not feeling good. This is like, oh, this is okay. <laughs> you got a film on your skin. <laughs> oh. <laughs> anyway, I get this patient, and they're muttering. Out, damn out, spot. Damn, damn, out, I out, say. Out, and Nurse Fidelli tells me there are others in the waiting room muttering the same thing. Joking aside, we get a lot of comments. I read a lot of comments. They have water spots or drying spots on their film, and I've used I've used PhotoFlow. How do I? These are driving me crazy. How do I get rid of them? How do I avoid them? And my first question, always many questions, is this self-processed film or commercially? It's always self-processed. Color or black and white? You're getting it on all sizes: 35, 4 by 5, 120. It's almost always relatively color colorless sometimes it's white if it's bad it's opaque and it's almost always on the shiny or the base side of the film not the emulsion side so here is the the diagnostic for this black and white preventative use a rinsing agent like lfn or photoflow and of course we have a product in the fpp store same thing it's it's a, a washing agent helps water sheet off the film use distilled water for mixing your chemistry. Now, there's a problem with that. We can't use distilled water necessarily to wash our film with. So you still have a lot of that on there before it hits the photo flow. Mix your photo flow correctly. 
if you're seeing suds or bubbles, it's too strong, <laughs> and that's going to be a problem. That hangs up in the sprocket holes as it dries and doesn't completely sheet off. So it can still happen. And if you want an old-timer's trick, and this, this is pretty slick, 32 ounces of distilled water, a cap full of 91% isopropyl alcohol, and one drop of PhotoFlow. And that's what they used as a final rinse. The um, alcohol means it's going to dry quick for you, sheets things off, the distilled water, no minerals in that, and, of course, the PhotoFlow to help um, with the sheeting. Last step, you got this, this product mixed up, about 30 seconds to a minute, doesn't have to be any longer than that, slosh that around in that tank, hang it to dry. You're good to go. Now, I've got an answer that will give you 100% guarantee for no spots. And here we go, folks. I almost want you to sit on your hands because I know you're going to get your camera bags and you're going to throw monkey poop at me <laughs> because you are just like going to be, did she say it was okay to use meth? Wow! Tight, tight, tight. No, I didn't say it was okay to use meth. Booyah! Wow! I said it was okay to use a film squeegee. And then I can hear, you scratch your negatives, kid. No, it is not going to happen. There's something called, I personally named it, because it's very fun to say, squeegee rules. Not squeegees rule, but squeegee rules. Here we go. Number one, buy a new one. If you've had one for years, throw it away. Take it to the bin, take it to the street, get a new one. A lot of times we are given a box of darkroom equipment. If there's one in there, throw it away. Get a new one. Why? Why? There could be stuff stuck on there, and then when you squeegee your film, it's going to scratch, and you're going to send me an email, and right. I don't want to hear it. So new squeegees don't new, scratch film. That's correct. People scratch film, not squeegees. <laughs> this particular one is probably a Patterson. There's also Kaiser by brand. Mm -hmm. We also sell them in the FPP store. You be gentle with it. You do not have to lay into your film lightly squeegee. Be gentle. No violence required. Keep it clean. When I am done squeegeeing my film, hang my film up, slosh my squeegee underwater, I hang it right on the same rack that I'm drying my film with because that, I hope, is a dust-free place. When I take my film down, down goes the film. The squeegee's also dry. It goes into a zip-top bag. Easy as that. Oh. So it keeps the crap off of it. Right. If you drop it and you're decently confident that there's no major crap stuck on here. It's not like clay bar. You drop clay bar, if you know what that is, it goes. If you drop it, maybe it's on carpet maybe on a cement floor in the basement you may want to dispose of it if it's you know if you question it just get rid of it but if it's on carpet we rinse it again we hang it up we dry color or black and white some people have one for color and one for black and white mm -hmm. where i do not use a film squeegee is with my remjet films I'm ask you, what is a Remjet film? What a <laughs> Remjet film is a motion picture film. Right now, one of the best motion picture films you can buy that have been cut down in manageable lengths, 35 millimeter, is Vision 3, made by Eastman Kodak. Beautiful film. But those films have a carbon backing on them that we have to remove during the process. And that carbon backing, it's why you can't send this film to a traditional C41 lab. They cannot take the chance that any of that carbon backing gets into their regular chemistry. And I don't particularly want a flake or two of that drying on my squeegee. I never squeegee remjet films after I process them with a squeegee other than my microfiber cloth or my fingers. So it's the only time I don't use a traditional film squeegee. Now, regular C41 you bet. Black and white, you bet. You will have the cleanest negatives that you have ever had to scan. But when I use this with color, standard C41, my film is out and ready to go to squeegee. I actually dip my squeegee into the stabilizer. 
tap it off nice and dry down we go i want that layer of stabilizer to stay on there so i just don't want a super dry squeegee going down mm-hmm. it. nice thin layer and we'll talk a little bit more about the whole stabilizer step and removing it or not removing it stabilizer is important it is an antimicrobial People think that you can add some photo flow into that and take care of the problem with spots. No, it just looks innocent. It is not. Keep photo flow away from color film. We don't, photo flow is a last step. I don't want to disturb that last little bit of stabilizer on that film, and that will chemically change it. So you don't run it separate, and you don't add it in. Uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> uh-oh. Now, another little old-timers trick with color film, and we did this all the time when I was in color processing. We kept a 100% chamois, the real thing. Not a sham wow, but a chamois. You'll be saying wow every time you use this towel. It's like a chamois, it's like a towel, it's like a sponge. And that was that always stayed right in the processing room at the last tank. And as we use dip and dunk as well, as, as uh, Phil Stebley mentioned a few episodes ago, and if we would see something just for some reason had a water spot running down it, we would take that chamois, dip it in the stabilizer, squeeze it out dry, and pull it down the film. And then it went onto the drying chamber, and everything was good. We took the chamois, threw it in a bag. It wasn't probably Ziploc at the time, and it stayed right there in the room. It would dry out all crispy. You just have to re-wet it. But I guarantee you, that you will not scratch your film with this if you handle it and store it correctly. You will be so thrilled at how clean those negatives are. So you get it back and they look commercially shiny. Don't be afraid of a film squeegee. I have used one for years. When I worked in a commercial lab where we ran color, I also ran the lab that did the hand processing for black and white and I used it all the time. I was the only one in there. I knew the condition of it. You can put film squeegee in on Google, and man, it gets heated. Scratch your film. You just have to respect it, and you are going to like this. And that, the Google, amongst some of the other things I talked about, will help you avoid having spots. We're going to get to removing them if they're already dry here in a second. The reason I said uh, uh, before was I made the mistake of mixing my stabilizer with my tap water. My tap water is really hard, and so it was leaving spots just because of that water was mixed in with the stabilizer. So I was actually using it, doing an extra step of trying to flow it oh, out afterwards. to defeat the, yeah. yeah. I brought a couple of gallons of distilled in here the other day to do my demos with, and I was just going to mix fresh chemistry. Went right over to the sink and mixed all three of them with tap water. Turned around, there's my distilled water. It's like, ay, 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 ay. Now, what do you think of those people who are taking their fingers and going? It's, know? does it, oh, I've done it a million times, but it is not as effective. Believe me, I, I'm still, it's not as effective. Mm-hmm. It really is not. Uh, big chunks come off that way, but the little stuff stays. Yes. What about uh, the microfiber cloth? Where does that come into? Microfiber comes into play with remjet removal. So I can back you up just a little bit because that helps too. When I do a remjet film and I process it in C41, everything stays the same. Pre-wet, developer, blicks, three-minute wash. At that point, it is to go into your stabilizer. And before it hits the stabilizer, my new dedicated, not new, my dedicated microfiber cloth goes into the stabilizer, squeezed out as dry as I can make it, I take the film off of the reel, I wrap it around the film, and rather use my fingers like a squeegee, and I pull down on it. And that carbon black is amazing on that cloth. Mm-hmm. I'll find a new place on the cloth, and I'll pull it down a second time. If it is not clean, I will find a new place and do it a third time. But that cloth has been wrung out so dry. C41. That will help. Number one, eliminate spots. But it needs to go back into the stabilizer. We still have a minute in stabilizer. Don't try to put that back on a plastic reel. That film's wet. I put a film clip on each end, and then I just kind of rock it up and down, up and down through my stabilizer, grab that same cloth in a clean area, pull it down, hang it to dry. So in a sense, it's getting a little bit of a squeegee action with the microfiber cloth, but... 
I don't ever want any of that little bits of carbon to dry on my squeegee, so that's why I use the microfiber cloth. So, so Remjet's not scary, it's not hard, it doesn't require massive amounts of blasting water, it doesn't require baking soda or bicarbonate of soda, pretty easy to handle. Hey, the, a new video popped up recently using the bicarbonate soda. Not just, for not film. necessary. It just isn't. <clears throat> we, we all did it. We did it at first. How'd that rumor start? I don't know, but I'd like to talk to them. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to have a little discussion here. Do okay. you think the bicarbonate, I know this is off topic, mm -hmm. do you think the bicarbonate of soda is doing anything to your emulsion to affect the color? No, I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. That's that's pretty much so if you um, want to do it, pretty do much it. an alkaline base. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty good. Okay. Especially you need to do that stabilizer at the end though. Okay. Yes, flash cube. Uh, <laughs> <thank> you. <laughs> Does it make a difference if you use a hardening versus a non hardening fixture in terms of how susceptible the film is to scratches? Absolutely. The question was, does it make a difference whether you use a hardening fixer in regards to how uh, susceptible your film is to scratches? And remember when film's wet, it's always more susceptible, but there is jello, and then there's jello that's been in the fridge for weeks and it's a little bit tougher. So there is different levels of that. So yes, a hardening fixer can help or allow you to manhandle your film just a little bit more. That helps me now, lady. What about these spots I got on my film from weeks ago or years ago? I'm going to do about that. Existing spots. A product that I really love is called PEC-12. P-E-C-1-2. PEC-12. It is an amazing product. It comes in a little squirt bottle. It comes in a quart container. I order it by the quarts. There's a reason I do. You'll never use a quart unless you leave the lid off for about two days and the evaporation will get you. They also make something called PEC pads. They're pre-soaked in little foil. It's, you know, like if you eat ribs and they give you a little thing to wash up with afterwards. You can use a PEC pad or PEC 12 as a spray. There again, a microfiber is lovely. Spray it on, wipe it off. This is an archival product that... I keep in large quantities because people bring flood-damaged pictures, mm. slides, all that kind of thing to me to try and save them. Uh, recently, I had a, I didn't have, but there was a fire in town. So not only did I have soot damage, I had negatives frozen and pictures together in plastic, little plastic boxes. Water got into them and froze. And then dirt got into them. And I had tons of these I had to try and save for, pe for pe a person. And the success rate, because of the time of the year being frozen, was very good. If they have to sit and start molding because it's hot, that's a little tricky. But this was frozen. I would just thaw some out as I needed them. But PEC-12 will also remove permanent marker off of prints. So you're writing on the back of something, and you stack them up, and oh, my gosh, it wasn't dry yet. It will take that stuff off. And I believe PEC-12 comes from a lovely town called Buzzards Bay in Massachusetts. But if you, if you um, Google it, you'll find it easy. It's an, it's an easy way to get water spots off without rewashing everything. I had another fleeting thought that literally fleeted. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, it can be used on black and white. It can be used on color. It cannot be used on, and we were kind of just discussing this, very old images where the image really sets on the surface of a paper. Don't use this on a tintype. One swipe, it's gone. Take the surface off. It's not meant for antique images as much. This is a modern product. And uh, that is the best way to keep from getting spots and also to remove what you have. Kodak used to make a product called Kodak Film Cleaner. And that stuff was, you, you use that with a lot of ventilation. I loved that stuff. Um, <laughs> is that trifluoroethane? It's something like that, some big, long, namey thing. Why is it discontinued? Um, it causes cancer. Well, probably, not safe, breathing uh -oh, in, the whole okay. bit. It also evaporated very quickly, but that was in every lab. You got a spot, you laid it down. 
and you pulled a, usually a chamois across it with that on it, and it would clean it right off. It was really a nice product. We commonly would put our jewelry in there and shake it around, you know, because you clean your diamonds up and that kind of thing. Right. That's, you know, antics in a in a lab. But uh, that product is not as far as, I don't, I'm sure it's not available anymore because we did have to look around for something else. And that's when I discovered PEC-12. Out damn spot, out. No more excuse for spots. Yes. Um, do you have any recommendations, like you already have scratches on your negatives? Yes. You know, you're using something like Edwell, no scratch, something like that. Do you have any recommendations for using something like that? I, I sure do. We've had a question about um, uh, Mr. Doug Lynch asked if he uses PEC-12. He loves PEC-12. PEC-12 does not leave a residue when you're done. Fantastic. But he says, what if you have scratches on your negatives? And scratches can be treated base side or emulsion side. If I see a print with a black line or a white line, I'll know which side that's on because it'll print differently. Is there any way to get rid of scratches? And he did mention there is a product called Edwall No Scratch. It's not fun to use, but man, it is a miracle worker. In the days when you had to retouch a print with a paintbrush and product rather than in a computer, you used this as much as you could. And what you did was you painted this product kind of like a little fingernail polish bottle and had a brush in the top, painted it on the top and on the bottom. And what it is is a very oily, thin, clear, oily product. Old photographers wiped their nose or their forehead if they had a scratch, and they pulled that over the negative to optically bounce that around and fill it in. And Ed Wall says, I think we can make this a little more sanitary, and they bottled this product. Now, it's probably all the oil from their employees. I don't know. But... Um, it was just plain old <laughs> grease. But that product luck, is out there, and I really don't know of anything other than that. And that's if you're optically printing. I have never really put that on there to scan something, um, but it makes a mess. So once you coat that negative, both sides if you need to, but typically just the side the scratch is on. But if, sometimes if you have it on one side, you're going to have it on both, scratch-wise. And clamp it in the carrier, put it in the enlarger, make your print, open your carrier, take your negative out. That negative's got to be cleaned with something. PEC-12 is ideal for that, and it takes some cleaning. Then you got to go after your carrier because it migrates. So it is really sloppy, um, does the job, but a lot of cleanup. And like today, we would probably avoid it and retouch that scratch out in Photoshop or, or uh, digitally. So, good question, yes. So, so does the Ed Wall uh, also work on your vinyl? Oh! <laughs> oh. I can answer this one. Yes. Oh, oh, so, the, the question. question. So, Nana Berger oh. had a question uh, about does the Ed Wall also work on vinyl? And uh, I only know this because our one of our, uh, our used expert, Casey, the guy that if you've ever emailed Midwest Photo about a used thing, uh, Casey's the guy that replied to He's one of our used buyers. Um, he is a vinyl junkie as well as... Um, a Nikon junkie, and he used to actually work at a record store. So, fun fact, um, the old vinyl cleaner you could also use to fill in scratches, uh, and it could replace uh, PEC-12 and Edwall. However, the new stuff that's out there is too aggressive mm. uh, and can harm your film. So, it, And the, the, the Edwall is not effective for most vinyl. There are too many chemical additives uh, to the, uh, the photo-branded ones that uh, will hurt vintage vinyl ones. So uh, you don't want to cross the streams when it comes to filling in scratches. All right. Thank you, Leslie. Anyone else? Else? Anyone else? Bueller? Bueller? Guess not. Thank you, Leslie. You're welcome. It's Vince with Sham Wow. You'll be saying wow every time you use this towel. It's like a chamois. It's like a towel. It's like a sponge. A regular towel doesn't work wet. This works wet or dry. This is for the house, the car, the boat, the boat, the car. This is for the house, the RV. Sham Wow holds 12 times its weight in liquid. Look at this. It just does the work. Why do you want to work twice as hard? Doesn't trip. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Doesn't make a mess, wring it out. You wash it in the washing machine. Made in Germany. You know the Germans always make good stuff. Here's some cola. Wine, coffee, cola. Chicken, vegetables I've never seen before. Pets, cough stains. Not only is the damage gonna be on top. There's your mildew. That is gonna smell. Look at this, look at this, look at this. <laughs>
Here now the news. Hey gang, Michael Rosso here and Mark Dalzell. Hey. Hey. We're announcing Yodaka Films. Film Photography Project introduces Yodaka Films to the United States. A new line of pre-exposed 35mm films from Milan-based artist and design duo Marco Barbareschi and Cinzia Canceda. We're thrilled to announce that our customers can now find Yodaka Films exclusively online at filmphotographystore.com starting today. Marketed as creative color films with special effects, Yodaka Films comes in seven vibrant varieties with packaging and names of the stars. Antares, Sirio, Vega, Atlas, Andromeda, Polaris, Pegasus. These names reflect the fun Far out, far out and totally groovy looks you can achieve. You can achieve. Priced at twelve ninety nine a roll, they make perfect gifts for the novice film shooter as well as the advanced film photographer who has everything. Antares is a warm colors at the top of your frame and balanced by the cool tones at the bottom. Serio, green and blue tones throughout give a cool effect. Vega, cool top tones are complemented by warm Orange bottom. Atlas. Atlas. Expect the unexpected with rainbow colors extended throughout the roll. Andromeda. Andromeda. See the world through rose-colored glasses. Yodica's Andromeda gives pink complexion to everything you shoot. Polaris. Polaris. Soft blue hues undulate through each frame. Pegasus. Pegasus. A horizontal rainbow of colors extending from side to side in your shot. I want to uh, encourage folks out there to support small and independent film-only companies like Yodica and the FPPs. We import them from Italy. They're hand-crafted. It's something different, something special. Yeah, it's a special effect. It's a little treat. Yeah. It's not going to be your day-to-day film. Yeah, support the fun of small and independents by, by, you know, supporting that. Folks listening, my name is Michael Rosso. Michael at filmphotographyproject.com. We'll see you next time. Let's turn the mic over to Mr. Mark O'Brien for his segment. What do you got, Mark? Well, I've been throwing together some camera kits lately and, and trying to standardize. When I just grab a bag, everything is ready to go. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I realized in my camera bag, I always have my filters and those little screw-together screw containers. And frankly, they're a pain in the butt because they rattle around and, and uh, get, get separated from each other in, in, the, in the bag. And so I found I had these old, some of these, this one's actually got a Polaroid logo on it. It's just a little, little uh, Velcro closer with these little compartments. And I put in my, the, the four filters, I believe, Every black and white photographer should have in their bag. Oh. Okay. So we often get filters in our F- goodie bags that yes. sent to the FPP. They need to be sorted. And they need to be sorted. Mm. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And I tend to use, if, I, if I'm carrying Nikon gear and I'm using the older lenses, I'm just, generally they're all 52 millimeters, so that's all I need to carry. Um, but if you have other size lens, other diameter lenses and you want to carry uh, the appropriate size filters for those, and if you have... Whole range of different lenses, and it can get a little unwieldy. So you may just want to have the larger lenses or the larger filter size with adapter rings to save the weight. Anyhow, so I decided I'd talk about the four filters every black and white fil- photographer should have in their bag if they're going to have any filters at all. Yeah. Can I ask a question before you talk about the filters. Yeah. Why didn't lens companies uh, standardize the, ma- the 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 diameter of the like fifty two millimeter or just everything fifty five millimeter? Within a, a, a brand, they do have their standards. Oh, is that right? Right. So Nikon tends to be 52. Mm. Canon, 58 for Canon. 58. 55, 58. Olympus, Olympus for 49. Yeah, but for FD, I 52, 55, 72. FDs, well, yeah. Some, you know some of those. Yeah, what? 
Do you know why? Why? Because sometimes if you're going to make a faster lens, it requires uh, more glass. Yep. Right, it's yeah. got to be bigger. But it's you're saying all your Nikons are 52. Well, they're not all, but they, within Nikon, there's, there's, there's 52, there's 62, 72, 62 okay. mm-hmm. and there's very little in between, except when you get to the digital realm, and they really screw everything up. They go nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, I have a, a set of 52 millimeter filters, and uh, so the one you would want to always have with you anyways is a polarizing filter because it cuts down on glare it cuts down on the reflections and if you're in need of um to stop down with a little neutral density type of thing they can act as a neutral density filter because they don't change the color at all polarizing filter is really excellent to have now there's circular and linear polarizers for if you're using manual focus lenses either one would work but the linear polarizers are the one that people typically have in their in these older molar ones next thing would be a 25a red red filter and so you would use that if you want to emphasize blue skies mm-hmm. so forth or you want dramatic scenes and you don't use it on red sensitive film no <laughs> learn that one or tin types yeah. and then the other one is yellow or mm-hmm. good old k2 yellow filter and oh yes and they are really good for just your average scenes. Brings out a little bit more contrast in a scene, um, especially your landscape and so forth. And so the fourth filter, I thought about this, and, and I said, what filter do I wish I'd brought with me all in a lot of times I'd forgotten? And that's a neutral density filter. Because mm. if, you're, if I'm shooting a waterfall and you got a bright, bright sky or a lot of light, and I want to slow that water down so I can get a nice silky look. I've got a 4x neutral density, which is two stops. Right. And you can actually get 6x and all that if you want. But that's probably an average one because I can always stop down the lens and uh, get a freaking tripod. Please. And and you're okay. So those are the four I would suggest if you're doing a lot of photography and to carry with you anywhere. And in something like this, it doesn't take much space in your bag. You're not all rattling around in those little separate containers. And you can, you know, put them in there. Now, the other one you might want to have would be a UV or haze filter on the front, especially yep. if your lens is of the expensive variety and you don't want to have that front element Protect banged it. up. And I've actually had a case where I had a camera and a tripod, something happened, and it went forward and landed oh. right on the, on the zoom lens. Luckily, I had a filter on it, and that's all that took the damage. Mm-hmm. People, you know, wonder why, if, if anything else, it's a cheap bit of protection for your for your lens and if you keep it clean um there shouldn't be much in the way of any kind of effect on your images i was just going to say let's just do a quick little round table what's one filter that we would personally have in our bag maybe that mark did not mention i carry an orange a lot of times just kind of have to be in the middle i'm loving on blue are you Mm -hmm. mine's an 81b it's a magic little warming Warming. filter that sneak it in on people michael neutral density Neutral density. Yeah. The other one that I've often carried with me is a, a diffusion filter. Ooh. Because, because for oh, some for some things for portraits and stuff they really are kind of nice. Not those star ones where you. No. <laughs> oh lord. Like the wedding photographer. You thing, know what right? I say about those? You buy those at a boot sale. You use it once and you put it in your next boot sale. Right. Because you've experienced it and it's done. When I was shooting video, the video. Oh yeah. Uh, wedding. Yeah. Uh, my friend Bashir, who was the boss insisted that you know when the couple first gets to the uh wedding hall and they do the toast yeah they use soft focus filter uh, (laughs) over the lens Mm -hmm. and i would never use it and yell he didn't remember after all those years i'm like don't you remember this year i never used the soft focus filter used to complain to john about me i used to hate (laughs) using it yes the diffusion filters, uh, fun fact, are used a lot in uh, newer digital cinematography because the resolutions uh, are getting high enough now that it's uh, it's too crispy too on crispy. a lot of people's skin. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I hear you, the, brother. <laughs> the Tiffin Black Pro Mist, especially eighth and quarter powers, uh, have been used in a lot of recent Hollywood productions. Yeah, just take a bread wrapper and wrap it around That'll the lens. It used to be a cigarette pack. Now we've got to go to bread wrappers. Vaseline. There's, I can't think of the actual title of motion pictures, but there have been motion pictures where they cut to the close female up. star close mm-hmm. up, yep. and all of a sudden it's diffused. Right. Cut to the male actor, it's not diffused. 
Very bizarre. Actually, there's though, certain TV the, shows like that too. Yes. One it, black and white picture that I know of that was photographed entirely with a red filter. Oh yeah. You know what it is? No. Classic Paper Moon. Orion oh, Tatum O'Neill. Was that shot on like either Plus X or Double X? I don't know the exact, but they shot everything because. The, the clouds were intensely dark. The skin was intensely white, and it just had. They photographed everything ultra wide. It's one of my favorite films. I like it a lot, but it's one of my favorite films to even watch because it's it's. You don't even. Most people don't know why they really like it, but it's so dramatic. Another but, beautiful film, not black and white, uh, is Barry Lyndon. Ah yes, yeah, amazing mm-hmm. film. Of course, in the 1970s, you could buy the Koken. Yep. You buy Koken filter, they yeah, give you the catalog. Yeah, I've got tons of them. I love them. I collect them today. You have one filter holder, and you'd have the rings, 52 millimeter, yep. 55 millimeter, 58 millimeter, and you'd be able to just slide your filter okay. into the... Yes, Leslie. No, you keep you slide it into... This girl doesn't use neck straps. Do you think I use a stinking holder? But I have to tell you... As I just whip them on there, shoot, shove them back in my pocket, no less, or elsewhere. But, yeah, yeah that's... And then it doesn't matter what size. I just got to filter. I don't know if they're still around today. Coconut, are they? They were imported by Minolta. Okay. Yes, they were a a French company. Yeah, and they have bigger size. They have the cheesy ones. Yeah, cheesy ones. They had the cheesy ones. I had the one. It's not a a Coconut, though. It was a Singray, and it's the Galen Rowell... Neutral de- graduate neutral density filter, and that you can just actually mm. hold in front of your lens. It's mm-hmm. it's bigger than a Koken. We have a cube in the back row. I can feel this one. I'll do the best Re- I can with the question. Repeat the question. So FPP or Doug Lynch uh, had a question about infrared filters, and um, I'm going to I'll paraphrase here. Um, he's using Ilford SFX and was wondering if he wants needs to try anything or should try anything deeper than a 25A. Um, I am a as as is Leslie, a proverbial uh, infrared uh, lover of infrared films. Um, sadly, there's very few true infrared films uh, that exist currently that are made brand new. There's plenty of expired you can still get. However, all the stuff that's available brand new is does not see well beyond uh, a certain wavelength or a certain nanometer range. Um, the Ilford SFX is not go- is not really seeing beyond the mid 600s. It's not doesn't see yeah, it does. It, yeah, which is the standard spectrum. So a 25A, anything more powerful than that, and you're just you're killing out good parts of your image that that are usable. So you're effectively adding tons of neutral density because it drops off like a, a cliff. So you're not going to get a good image. I also had uh, an FPP listener emailing me back and forth uh, with these issues with Roly infrared. He used an R72, and on the Roly infrared, it was actually getting him a, a blank image uh, a lot oh. of times. So even that does not have a true long, deep infrared sensitivity. Quite what we're talking about black and white R- IR. What about this FPP IR that claims to be se- 700 to 850 nm? Nanometers, yeah. Nanometers. Not yeah. nanoburgers, nanometers. Right. <laughs> and uh, our friend Trevor Lee from the darkroom mm-hmm. got some decent yes. images. But the film remains to be so... I can't even tell you how unpopular the film is. Why to is make, that? To make it work for me, yes. I've got to use the 72. R72. Oh, is that right? R72 filter. The and then I've got to add... I can't remember if I added... Six. Eight, six or eight times the amount of exposure that I normally would. So yeah. I just meter it, regular eyeball, not eyeball, camera meter, meter it, and then put the filter over it and, and add the time. And then Is I this can, yours? Yeah, that's mine. That's you, Donnell Pond. So you, you, what, what kind of filter did you use for it? R72. 72. That's the filter, filter that looks like you can't even see. Right, it's you pick it up. Opaque. It's yeah. almost opaque. And can you use that on other black and white films? No. You 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 you'd cut out the normal uh, panchromatic range, and I'm just going to say why. Okay, but yeah, no. Black and white infrared films do not seem to be as popular, or people don't go as goo over it as they do the color. It, it's not out there as much, I think, right. and it's it is much easier to just take that that filter that you're using for your film and throw it over any dig, and it looks infrared-ish, but yeah. it's not not true infrared. It's not as easy to do as it used to be. Yeah. I, and I know, I know that a couple of years ago we had this discussion about the FPP IR film, mm-hmm. and and I think Leslie hit the nail on the head, because if you set your camera, let's say you've got the got it loaded in there, you put your, your, your filter on there, your meter's still going to see light, 
but it's not going to be seeing what the film sees. And so if you, unless you manually set it for eight, eight stops or six or eight stops, you're going to be way underexposing that image. And, you know, I found that out the hard way. I thought I was doing everything right. And it's like, oh, you idiot. You've got you to. Gotta... So if the film's 200 ISO, you would meter, handheld meter the scene. Mm-hmm. Right. And then open up the amount of stops that the filter is. That's the best way. You wouldn't. You, you can't meter through the lens. No, the... no. I would just do that or add eight stops to what. So let's say it gave you f sixteen at one two fiftieth. Right. Okay. Add eight stops of exposure to that. Yep. Right. Eleven, eight, five, six. Yeah. I'm out of lens now. I'm going to the shutter speed. Right. Yeah. The last two. And so mm-hmm. get a tripod. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And um, bracketing helps. Yeah. Because you don't. We don't know how much infrared there is out there from day to day and hour to hour. So it. May not always be an exact eight stop. Yeah, but change. yeah, don't trust your meter for that at all. It's not going to give you what you want. What else about yeah. about filters, Mark? Oh, keep them clean. Have yes. a little microfiber cloth and keep right. them well cleaned off. And uh, I would say that if you have, if you carry a bunch with you, you'll soon find out which ones you don't use right. because mm-hmm. they're just taking up space. So. If you've got a basic four, you're probably good for about 99% of anything you ever want to shoot. How about some fat stacks? Can you oh. fat stack your filters? Like, yeah. take, like, you know, some NDs, maybe stack three of them together? Yeah, I can do that. What filters can't you stack? What filters can't you stack? Square, square filters. Uh, okay. <laughs> How about you take Correct, a yellow you filter? Can. Well, you can take you put a red over the top. You, you can take polarizers and stack polarizers to the point you oh, can't see anything. Bad. Right. Okay. Oh, see, yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. You would also get vignetting yeah. starting to happen oh, if yeah. you're pushing them out too far okay. on the end of your lens. Another um, with modern lenses, some lenses say they're not weatherproof until you put a UV lens or something on the fr- uh, filter on the front of it. So that's something to uh, a benefit to having a filter on the front of your lens that makes it more weatherproof. And, and get good quality stuff. Don't get the filters that have plastic rims on them. Oh, Those are yeah. just crap. How a Hoya brand? Oh, Hoya brand is great. Hoya okay. brand is good. I think it's Rokunar, is the ones or Rokunar, which are really cheap. Yeah. Don't get those. B plus W is right up there. Those oh, yeah. are excellent. Helio pans and other good ones. pans, very yep. good. The regular Hoya filters and the Tiffins are usually very good. If you're using a lot of filters, owning a lens wrench might not be a bad idea, or using something to help, you know. If they get stuck together, that's if you stack them, then that's the chance of them getting yeah. stuck together. People rubber bands yeah. right. sure. Yeah. Crank oh, it yeah, open. That works good. Okay, we'll take a quick break, and we'll, then we'll come back and talk about Pinblad. Pinblad. Hi, guys. This is Doug Darling from Loveland, Colorado. And I travel all through the Rockies, and I bring you guys with me. You're great entertainment. And I've started to get back into film photography. I'm shooting from a Mamiya OM2 to a C330 twin lens reflect Mamiya. And I've also just got my second 4x5. I've got a Zone 6 4x5 and an Ebony uh, wide angle, four by five. Can't wait till you guys start with the next step, and that's printing. Uh, discussions about enlargers and light sources, and then paper will be really fascinating. Keep up the good work, and thanks for all the support and all the entertainment. Have a great day from love. Bye. Yo. Mike, if you don't eat that split pea soup, you better stick it in the freezer. Okay, call me when you have time. <laughs> I don't even know what it is. What's no, Pinblad? Pinblad. It's a neat little pinhole set that comes from a company. Pinholes are the rage now, right? Oh, I'm talking about pinhole, always, this pinhole, I've always that. loved pinhole. I've loved pinhole since I made my first ones out of so, toilet paper tubes called the Pooper Shooters. So what do you do? You have to take Hold your dark it. slide and drill a hole through it? No. Okay. Ha, 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 ha. That's my assy bod. body there. Stay Pinblad the Sailor. Do you, <laughs> <laughs> Leslie, do you own a, a Hasselblad? I sure do. Oh, okay. It's at Mr. Odessa's right now getting repaired. Oh. Uh, is this, anyway. Is this 3D printed? Would you stop it? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Keep pin your mitts off, kid. Pinblad. This neat little pinhole set comes from a company called Light Leaks Lab Hacking Camera. Mm-hmm. It takes all of that. Um, it looks like they're um, in Italy. But it looks like they've been around since maybe 2012. Mm -hmm. They started off as Brownie Cameras Collector. Then they went to Brownie Cameras Collector Shopping Community. 
Then they changed from brownie cameras collector to light leaks lab hacking cameras in are they, January. Are they a garage band? I, I think so. <laughs> I'm going to be seeing them next week at the festival. Anyway, they've made three products, something called the Star 35. This is, I think, where the brownie came in. Brownie Star cameras. They made a 3D printed insert for your camera that held 35 millimeter. So drop it out right in the bottom of the camera, little tabs to cover up the round holes. They also made a set of uh, flash, colored flash rings and other things for the Impossible I-1 camera. Mm -hmm. They did that, and then they come out with the Hasselblad pinhole set called the Pinblad. And I saw this thing on Facebook, and I thought, yeah, I think I like this. But they have the pinhole, which is I have mounted already, they then the pinhole itself mounts into one of these three i call them cups but rather cones. they're they're cones essentially bellows that don't collapse cones good word wow. and they are made then to fit into a bracket and the bracket snaps onto your Hasselblad film back this is a very common a12 and um then of course you advance your film panel like you normally do take the slide out and it's a lens for the holder wow isn't that slick in the holder itself is also the little sliding cover to cover up the pinhole and i've just knocked it just a little out of whack and i'm thinking i think this is gonna be fun i think i gotta have one of these they come in an 18 millimeter they come in a 24 millimeter and a 35 you can buy them singly i bought the entire set. They have a little card in here. A legend. A legend with all this exposure information. Crap. And a lovely little letter. It says, Dear Leslie, personalized. Oh. Thank you. Thank you very much for your purchase. And uh, don't hesitate to write for support or doubts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What I love about the holder is when you clip this onto the A12, it gives you a tripod socket. And it does give you a cold shoe, essentially, at the top that if you want to invest in other viewfinders so you know how much this 18, 24, or 36 is taking in, away you go. You've got an estimation. I rather like the mystery of just getting back to see what I've gotten with these when I use it. They have and a nice email address, browniecameras at gmail.com. Exactly. It's nice. All the way. Yeah, they got, yeah, they got a good one. But, you know, I'm putting all this together thinking I, I, think, that, I think we're going to have some problems here. Uh-oh. And I haven't had a lot of time to play with it. One roll shot and processed, one roll shot and in uh, line to be processed. But as I'm putting all of this together, there is a little – don't peel that off. Okay. You lose that, you're going to pay. There's this little clip that fits in that um, you pull the little – thing back on the top that releases the film holder from your Hasselblad. Pull it back. It will then engage into it. But this little bar that engages into it is loose. And I know it's going to be history, so I have tape over it. And I'm thinking there's way too much play here in this thing. I'm going to get a light leak. I should have remembered. What's the name of the company? Light Leaks Lab. (laughs) Should have been my clue. But I, I, I don't really... I didn't want the light leaks. So I had some very, very thin light trap material, very thin, very flat. It was adhesive, and I did cut it to fit it around in there. And now I may not be able to do it here on command. Was this a Kickstarter? This was not a Kickstarter. They have presence on Facebook, just about Facebook only. You have to almost send them a message and say, how do I get this? They'll give you an eBay link. And uh, it's not that easy to find, really, with eBay uh, search. The entire product is 3D printed and painted. One of the problems that I also was having with it is as you move the pinhole away from the holder, the f-stop changes. Okay. I'm supposed to remember this when I'm out in the field or carry this card in it that I can barely see because it's so darn tiny in the writing. So I simply just printed on a piece of um, laser type material. 35 millimeter, this is the 35 millimeter cone. When I use this, my f-stop is going to be an f-300. 
The 24 millimeter, it drops down to F200. The 18, F135. Great. That's what I need to know. That's what I need to keep with me. Now they're attached to it. Peel and stick them on there. And I use an app on my phone. Uh, I think it's just called Light Meter, and it has these ridiculously small holes for pinhole. So that problem is solved. The problem with the light leaks has been solved because I put in, makes it fit very tight. Did you get it in there, Matt? It's, it's, I needed to apply maybe more violence than I'm used to with a Hasselblad. Exa exactly, yeah. yes. And so that being said, I believe, because I had to have all three of them, uh, I probably paid around $100 for these. And that included getting the shipping them here, of course, from Italy. Italy. Now, another thing, these are called pin blods, made strictly for the A12 Hasselblad. If you don't have a Hasselblad back, they're not cheap. Mm -hmm. I mean, I use an old chrome one because I have an original 500 and a 500C. I can sometimes pick those up for around $100, but if you go up through the line and they become more modern, you're gonna pay about $300 for those. Mm -hmm. But they're thinking about this. They are now making a set of cones for the Mamaya RB67, RBRZ67 oh, holders. But they didn't think ahead because it will no longer be a pin blad. If they're gonna put it on Mamaya, it's gonna be a pinaya. They're gonna have to come up. They're, they're gonna have to come up with a new name for it. But I, I really, I look forward to using these because, like I said, this is a neat small little camera. Now, there's no special loading to it. I'm using my 120, advancing it through. Nothing changes there. So once I conquered the light leak and the memory problem, remembering what my f-stop was, I am good to go. So if you enjoy pinhole. If you like super wide, just get the 18. You don't have to get all three of them. I think you really enjoy them because I, I truly do. Yes. So the great thing about this is, because I'm like, oh, Hasselblad, grumble, uh, grumble. All you need is the Hasselblad back. The back. How much is the back going to cost? I just, I mentioned that a few minutes ago. Yeah, I was snoozing. Got it. Anywhere from 100 to $300. Or borrow friends. Hey, can I just borrow that back? Oh, you're not borrowing that. Oh, that's right. <laughs> oh, why is that, Matt? No, they're too valuable they're now. Too oh, for valuable. real? If, if one goes bad and it has to go back to David Odess, like Leslie was saying, the reason the cost has gone up, he's the only guy that can handle them typically, and uh, he'll charge you almost 200 bucks to refurb that. No kidding. Now, there may be film, but it may be done in there, so just, you know. No, you know. I checked the, the Great. Control. I've taken so it out. So, of course, the first question is going to be from people who don't have the house of blasts. What other camera can you get this for? You're going to be able to wait just a few months and get it for your Mamaya RBR60, or RB or RZ67 film backs. How much are those backs? I have 20, 30 idea. bucks. Oh, oh you mean, cheap. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, Is there any advantage to using this pin system than any other pinhole camera? It doesn't require to buy a whole new camera. Right. You're not modifying something. I have a little bit control over my spacing uh, because this is a film. standard back. Every pinhole has its advantage or disadvantage. That would be the charm of it all. Okay. So, so what is the, when, when, you, when you say 24 millimeter, 35 millimeter, is it giving you the, the range? It's focal length. Yeah. yeah, it gives me the idea. I know my 18, just like in it's anything, wide. is going to be super wide, less wide, kind of wide. Think have of it you, that way. Have you shot with this yet? I have. I have not um, posted anything will you? yet. Absolutely, I will. Mm -hmm. Okay, promise? <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, I will be posting from the first one where I had mm -hmm, the light, mm -hmm. light leaks. And when I get a new batch of Extol mixed up, I will be processing the second roll. This is something, a lot of times I get these things, and I use them once or twice, and then I don't even care if I ever use them again. But I, I will enjoy these because I do like pinhole. I do like the convenience. Um, it's a little more controlled than if I take a bunch, half a dozen or a dozen of my own Hooper shooters with me. Right. Every lens is different, the whole bit. There's a little consistency to this, which is nice. That part, I guess, is the advantage. There's okay. a consistency to it. And this is called Pinholio. Oh, excuse me, does the gumbo have corn in it? I am Cornholio. I need picada for my bunghole. You'll have to wait your turn, sir. Are you threatening me? My bunghole will not wait. This is <laughs> called the... <laughs> Pinblad, P-I-N-B-L-A-D. TP for my bunghole. Pinblad. Thank you, Leslie. You're welcome. Any questions? Yeah. Oh. 
Good question. Will this fit, would these fit onto a Kiev film holder? Oh. Can you put your Kiev back onto a Hasselblad? Then I would say no. There's two up here. It's very, very specific on how these fit together. There are slots to them. If you have it with you, you're certainly welcome to try it and check it out. But I almost doubt that it would. Mm-hmm. So yes. The pinholes always focus no matter what distance you're away from the film plate. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the pinhole, does it always focus no matter what the distance of your subject is when the yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly. it doesn't I mean No, I put it I to, if put it, if I put this down on the ground, I know the grass directly in front of it's gonna be sharp out to infinity. Okay. Yes, Michael. How popular is the hassle pin? <laughs> so close. <laughs> now let me repeat that so everyone can hear it. What did you pay for these? No. <laughs> How popular is that? I no would. No one knows because uh, it's hidden on eBay. It's hidden on eBay, but I would say that. Um, it's, he, by a, it's like manufactured thought, by a quiet company. He thought, obviously, <laughs> it was going to be his best. I would think his best chance for a sale. Why would he make something unpopular? I would say make Hasselblad first because I think it's going to sell the best. Don't you think it would have gotten more like Hoopla if it did a Kickstarter? Because then it gets more like publicity. And then they have to change the company a, name. Oh, this is an what? interesting <laughs> company. Oh. Um, yeah. it, this is an interesting oh. company. I mean, when you, there's... Is it a company or a guy? I think it's a guy. It's okay. You could be Which a guy. Which is fine. With a 3D printer. With a 3D printer. Yeah. Everything he's done has pretty much been that way. So he shows them in different colors. So but I would have had... You'll come back later in the fall with some results and, and maybe a quick follow-up, whether it's sure. you like it or love it or hate sure. it. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Happy to. Did you, did you tell our, our audience how they can get one of these? Yes, I did. Oh, I'm really snoozing. You are. You need to find Light Leaks Lab Hacking Cameras on Facebook. Really? Didn't you say that two shows ago? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Thank you, Leslie. You're welcome. Hi. We're serving dinner now. Our selections tonight are chicken piccata or seafood gumbo. Oh, excuse me. Does the gumbo have corn in it? I am Cornholio. I need piccata for my bunghole. You'll have to wait your turn, sir. Are you threatening me? My bunghole will not wait. Before we go, quick book review from Mr. Mark O'Brien. Oh, thank you. I decided I would review this one book that came out actually in 1983. Um, good year. Good year, yeah, for lots of things. Oh, yeah. Um, it's called Master Photographers, the World's Great Photographers on Their Art and Technique, edited by Pat Booth. It's published by Clarkson and Potter. Incorporated Publishers in New York and distributed by Crown Publishers Incorporated. It's about 200 pages long. But what I like about this book is it took me by surprise. I thought, oh, this is going to be just one of these typical things where they talk about these photographers. No, no, no. They are all interviewed. So at the time, everyone in this who was interviewed for this book was alive, okay? There's some good names on There's there. There's some good names. We have Ansel Adams, Eve Arnold, Horst, David Bailey, Bill Brandt. Harry Callahan, Dahl Wolf, what I have no idea who that was, Lartigue, Elliot Erwitt, Ralph Gibson, Karsh, Andre Kertesh, Robert Duano, Sarah Moon, Arnold Newman, and Helmut Newton. Some of the big names. That's a list. Photo- it is yeah. quite a list. And what I liked about this book is that they had lots of examples of their work, and they got asked specifically about some of the images and what they their technique and is also sometimes they got the photographers to talk about other photographers who then talked about the other photographers in the, in the book in, in response. So it's really kind of cool. And you got a little bit of their personal biography in the, in, the, in the photographer's own words. It's not something that someone else wrote about them. I know Ansel Adams gets always uh, talked about for his large format photography, but there's this one beautiful shot of... Georgia O'Keeffe and Orville Cox at Canyon de Chelly, and he says, "What about the Georgia O'Keeffe picture, which is one of your most famous portraits, isn't it?" And Ansel says, "I made that picture with my 35 millimeter Zeiss contacts at the Canyon de Chelly, Arizona, in 1937. There was a storm coming up. I was down there with my Comtax contacts three. I don't know. There's an error in there, um, and it was shot in Agfa Super Pan Supreme film." 
I think it's one of my best photographs, but unfortunately, while the 36 exposure roll was drying, it fell to the floor, and this picture was in the section I stepped on. There were some very good pictures on that roll, but, but this is by far the best. The scratch marks have been removed with the greatest care, but it remains difficult to make a fine print from that negative. Such is life. However, the image is a very popular one, so I consider myself lucky. So, you, I mean... Listen, we all screw up, right? And here's St. Ansel. He's talking about how he screwed up. So I, I like that. But it gives a human element to all these, all these um, people in here. Uh, I, I found it really enlightening in terms of in talking about their technique. And it's amazing to me how today we have all these tutorials on lighting and how to have this light and that light and so on. And you look at people like Yusuf Karsh. He's using hot lights most of the time, and or he was using available light. And so for so many of these people, they really got into saying, you know what, I really like what I get with available light because it gives me a, a better reflection or better image of, of that person's per personality if I'm doing a portrait. Or if I'm using hot lights, I can control them better. And partly it may have been because they were at the – period before strobes really became popular and in, in everyday usage but you can't deny the power of the photographs that they took using much simpler methods than people are using today so it's photography is still all about the light but i think it's also if you're doing if you're, all these guys doing porches like cars and so forth it's also about interacting with your subject and figuring out what aspect in the image really draws that person out into the photograph. So um, in other cases, they talked to um, one of my favorite ones in here was uh, with Ralph Gibson and uh, Arnold Newman. I mean, the, that famous picture of Stravinsky at the piano, um, I thought it was actually in, in the studio somewhere. No, it was this hotel that um, Arnold, Arnold Newman went to quite frequently. It had this big piano in there. And he goes, oh, that would make a really cool photograph. And he got Stravinsky down there to pose with it. It's just a really good book. It's one of those things, if you really want to know what's going on in their mind, and so often they, you'll hear the same thing over and over again. It's, it's basically you're, the photography, what makes a good photograph isn't your equipment. It's what's in between your ears that, that you're bringing to it. And so I think that's for people who are wanting to learn about photography and want to study how some of the so-called greats of photography, it's not necessarily about the equipment. I mean, they, they, some cases, they said, I don't even pay attention to what f-stop I'm using. Um, I just know what works for me. So, uh, <laughs> so it's, uh, and also they talk about what got you interested in photography. I think it's, uh, if, it's if you find, look for this online, I haven't tried looking for it, but it's definitely worth a really couple hours of your time just reading in, about these photographers and, and their views on their, on their work and their art. Definitely, I would think, a must read if you like something, anything about the history of photography at all. Thank you, Mark. You're welcome. Podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. If you'd like to send us an email, correspondence, P.O. Box 264, Fairlawn, New Jersey, 07410. We're running out of Tim Tams. <laughs> <laughs> also, no more, you, no more Mr. Brown. Do you know the, the first time you, you used to say yo after Dwayne did it? No. In episode 14. 14. Because what you episode? Say 14. Because you would say Gmail and he'd go G yo. And then it kind of changed oh, wow. into, morphed into that later. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. I did not know that. You're gonna write. You're gonna write the book, right? <laughs> no, I just take. I just take little notes. When something cracks me up, I just write down but like when it. And happened. Matt adopt adopted it. No. I'd well, I mean, right. like we we like, all we all kind of like would do it at the end. Like you just because it was us. podcast at film. No, it was uh, film photography podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. 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 And you actually still said, um, "Hey, we're back in episode 15." That's but, the first time. Yeah. Whoa! It was a bad time for everyone. But but I don't think you said it in the same way you say it now, but I think you kind of nonchalantly go, kind of like, hey, we're back, <laughs> you know, after something. It's all in the past now. For you! For you! No kidding. Yeah. Any other tidbits? Oh, of course. Well, uh, the, the, that episode we were talking about before, the funniest episode ever is number 43. The, <laughs> no, yes. the funniest episode yes. ever of the FPP. Yes, because that is Binox. That is what show, and um, clean it, clean it. Yeah. Okay, oh. you're the last of an elite group. Those three plus there's even something else that I can't remember what it okay. is. Do you, know, you know what the longest show ever was? Oh gosh, that was one. That was no, it was a th almost three hour one with um, 
Uh, Dan Domi was on that show. What did we talk about? Weren't you at uh, was it the PDM? Yeah, it was the PDM ramp-up show. Oh, we had a roll in. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It just made it long. We, with, we didn't cut a single interview. That's what it oh. was. Well, thank you, Joby, because at least you contributed a little bit to this particular episode. I knew I'd get something in at the end. <laughs> because we didn't cover even one of your topics. We're going to be back with, uh, with the Matt and Matt Joby and show. For all you large format film photographers out there. See you soon. reference level recorded 10 dB below program level.